And you are looking there at the debate stage at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Tonight's CNN Republican debate, the last one before Monday's Iowa caucuses just now wrapping up. I'm joining uh, me here in just a moment, one of tonight's two contenders, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Yeah, Anderson, he and Nikki Haley, the former United Nations ambassador and South Carolina, South Carolina governor, were one-on-one -on -one for the first time on the debate stage with far more focus on each other on that stage than their competitor who was not there, Donald Trump, the former president, who was holding a rival town hall just a few miles away. That's right, Kayla. Neither she nor Governor DeSantis focus anywhere near the same fire on him as they did on each other as their respective records in state office. The two also pulling no punches right from the very beginning of the debate when it came to questioning the other's sincerity and honesty. Nikki Haley is, is running. Uh, we don't need another mealy mouth politician who just tells you what she thinks you want to hear just to try to get your vote, then to get in office and to do her donors bidding. She was in another state and she said the people of Iowa's votes need to be corrected. This is somebody that wrote in her book that Hillary Clinton inspired her to first run for office. I remember Hillary denigrating people on the Republican side as deplorables. We don't need a candidate who's gonna look down on middle America, uh, we've had enough of that. We're gonna find out tonight that there's gonna be a lot of Ron's lies that have happened. There are at least a couple of dozen so far that he's done. So what we're gonna do is rather than have him go and tell you all these lies, you can go to DeSantisLies.com and look at all of those. There's at least two dozen lies that he's told about me and you can see where fact checkers say exactly what's gonna happen and exactly why it's wrong. So it will cover the fact that he's only mad about the donors because the donors used to be with him, but they're no longer with him now. And that's because he's upset about the fact that his, his campaign is exploding. You're gonna see the fact that he has switched his um, policies multiple times, and we'll call that out tonight. But every time he lies, Drake University, don't turn this into a drinking game because you will be overserved by the end of the night. Nikki Haley has this tactic. If you uh, hold her accountable to her record, first she'll say, I never said that. Well, one good rule of thumb, if she says she's never said something, that definitely means she said it. And then she'll say, you're lying, you're lying. That means not only did she say it, but she's on videotape saying it. So there was certainly plenty of that sprinkled throughout the night, but no shortage of substance either, as each fielded questions from Regina Bash and Jake Tapper. We'll be fact-checking some of their answers uh, tonight and seeing how they landed with the same group of Iowa voters who've been watching and reacting to every debate so far. We'll also talk about Chris Christie's announcement late today that he is leaving the race and the criticism he leveled at tonight's debaters and the rest of the 2024 GOP field. Um, with me tonight, CNN's John King, CNN uh, Newsnight anchor Abby Phillip, also our CNN political commentator from both sides of the Al David Axrod, Scott Jennings are here uh, with me. Abby, what stood out to you? It was a strong night for DeSantis. It was. And you could see the pressure on Nikki Haley that's been building for some weeks now. She is in the barrel now as the front runner of the second tier of candidates here. That also kind of underscores the other part of this, which is that the two of them were so busy in this. I don't know, cage match with, you, with each other, that you almost just didn't even notice that there was a Trump of it all, which is critically important in Iowa where he's leading. So I don't know. I mean, at the end of it, I thought to myself, who won the debate? It's really unclear because there was so much back and forth that you almost got lost in it. It was hard to see the forest through the trees, frankly, between these two. Uh, but on Nikki Haley's part, she really needs to solidify where she is. I don't think she did that tonight. She seemed 
flustered, frustrated. Uh, she said on multiple occasions that DeSantis was demeaning her, which seemed to imply that she was taking it really personally. I don't think that really helped her tonight. John? I had sort of two sets of tactics to each candidate differently. Uh, you're right. There was not a ton of direct confrontation with Trump. But Haley, now with Christie out of the race, did go a little farther than we hear normally. Trump lost. Biden won. She said it clearly. Uh, that's running against what most Republicans still believe to this day. But she said Trump lost, Biden won. She criticized him very critically about January 6th behavior, saying history would hold him to account. And she said his argument in court the other day about presidential immunity was ridiculous. Um, not a ton, not a full frontal assault on Donald Trump, but her realizing that if she's going to have any hope, she has to consolidate the anti-Trump vote. So a little tougher there. To Abby's point about DeSantis, he knows where he is, and he knows how important this state is to him. This is a much more conservative electorate here in Iowa than you will have in New Hampshire. School choice, immigration, woke, transgender, a reckoning coming against the Fauci's and the science and the, you know, the Washington bureaucracy. Uh, he is appealing. That's a very Trumpy, Trump-based message. But it's also, if, if he has any hope, it's to be strong here. Everyone assumes Trump's going to win here. We'll see what happens on Monday. But to be stronger, he was playing conservative, 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 conservative all night long because that's Iowa. Given that Chris Christie was the candidate who was the most aggressive against Trump, does it make sense that they would not be very aggressive against Trump? Well, yes, I think that uh, the Christie parable is a, it's discouraging to people about frontal assaults on Donald Trump in this Republican Party. And I agree, John, that, that Haley went farther than she's gone before, but only in the second round of uh, when it was elicited by the very good questions uh, that they were asked by, uh, by Dana and, and Jake uh, that kind of forced an answer. I agree with Abby. I thought, you know, Haley has done very well in these debates and she used a lot of the same material that we've heard before, but he got under her skin. And I think more importantly, whether she, where she and DeSantis finish on, uh, on Monday is less important than what it means for the race in, in uh, New Hampshire. And I think she's, gonna, she's already been attacked there on the air by Trump on immigration. I think you're going to hear a lot more uh, of that. And I think you're going to hear more on the entitlement uh, attack, which is very, very potent. Uh, her uh, her uh, stated position that we should raise the uh, retirement age of Social Security for new entrance into the workforce. I mean, it, it may be an intellectually respectable position. I, I certainly could make the argument, but it is a very volatile issue. And Trump and DeSantis have right. both taken the other side of it. So I think we saw some previews to come. And if she's rattled by these things, uh, she'd better get her act together, because I think this is just the beginning. But that's just a great example of how much Trump has changed the Republican Party. It used yeah. to be the Republican Party position. We have to deal with these things because of the fiscal so whether it's raise the retirement age or find other ways, find other cost savings. And now you're right. Trump has made that anathema. And DeSantis, who used to be for it, is now against yeah. it. I'll, uh, I'll answer Abby's question. I think DeSantis won tonight. I think the first 12 or 15 minutes didn't help either of them. I thought the initial squabbles made them both look fairly small, frankly. But I think DeSantis settled down as the night went on. And Haley, to Axe's point, uh, continued to be rattled. I think Haley drastically overplayed her hand on this website business. Yeah. I think it hurt her. I think it cratered her throughout the night. And it sounded like someone, to me, the more she went to that well, like someone who couldn't defend their own record. I mean, it became this crutch. It was a like life a, raft. It was like yeah. a rhetorical sandwich board. 
And it didn't, I think the, the more she went to it, the more annoying, frankly, it seemed throughout the night. I thought the immigration exchange, to your point, was critical, and I thought DeSantis won on that. Something Haley did, though, that I did appreciate. She does not have the majority position on Ukraine. For the Republican Party, she does not have the majority position. She stuck to her guns on that, and she defended it better than you hear most politicians who are currently in office do. DeSantis, though, where he was on that topic was right where the Republican primary right. voters right. are. So I appreciated Haley, because that's my position. I appreciated what Haley said. But even in that exchange, DeSantis found himself where the primary voters are, and Haley found herself outside of it. Yeah, I mean, it, she that was probably her best answer yeah. of the night. It was uh, crisp. It was consistent for her. But then DeSantis landed this punch on her that yeah. was basically, yeah. you can take the oh, candidate yeah. out of the U.N., but you can't take the U.N. out of the candidate. They obviously mm-hmm. planned for that, but but a critical moment for him to try to take something that she has been using as a strength and make it a weakness mm. for this Republican Party, that may very well work, even though this is Donald Trump's U.N. ambassador. I mean, that's the irony of it all. Those policies that Nikki Haley is talking about, those are Donald Trump's policies. And yet it could very well be a weakness for her. But but, but that gets at the defining question for the next two weeks. We're likely to be answered in the next two weeks. Iowa Monday and then New Hampshire uh, later in the month. Is this are the roots of Trumpism getting deeper, stronger in the Republican Party or can the Nikki Haley's pull it back? the internationalists, uh, the more traditional positions on entitlements. Uh, All the data tell us uh, the Trump wing of the party is not only strong, but strengthening all these House Republicans, all these other candidates around the country. Uh, She's trying to essentially say, if you want your old Republican Party back, Iowa, you go first on Monday, New Hampshire then follow it. If you don't slow or stop Trump by then, Forget about it. We're going to be talking to to, uh, Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis shortly here. Uh, Let's go to Caitlin uh, in New York. Caitlin? Yeah, thanks, Anderson. And we've got our panel back here with me. And Alyssa, as we were watching this debate play out, obviously Donald Trump was not on that stage. That was the one thing that that Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley really agreed on, which was that he should be on that stage. But neither of them really sought to to draw a contrast with Trump in, in a meaningful way. And there was this one moment where Jake and Dana were asking them about Trump's post, about overturning the con- terminating the Constitution and how they felt about it. And this is how Nikki Haley responded to that question. Governor Haley, is there any meaningful difference in how you and Donald Trump view the Constitution? I mean, look, you take an oath to the Constitution. And I think what you're seeing is Donald Trump basically said that the election was stolen. He went on and on talking about the election being stolen. He said that January 6th was a beautiful day. I think January 6th was a terrible day. And we should never want to see that happen again. That election, Trump lost it. Biden won that election. And the idea that he's gone and carried this out forever to the point that he's going to continue to say these things to scare the American people are wrong. I think what happened on January 6th was a terrible day, and I think President Trump will have to answer for it. As president of the United States, you will preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. You can't just terminate the Constitution. I mean, I know he does, you know, word vomit from time to time on social media, but obviously I will uphold the Constitution. 
What did you make of those answers? I mean, listen, this should be the lowest hanging fruit, and I wouldn't say either of them knocked that question out of the park. But bigger picture takeaway from the night, I think Ron DeSantis won the night with the base. He hit Donald Trump on Fauci, on COVID lockdowns, on not doing enough to quell unrest during the BML protests. But I think Nikki Haley won the, won the night as far as the broader Republican electorate, acknowledging that Joe Biden won the election, acknowledging that climate change exists, starting to kind of talk about future-looking policy. But at the end of the day, you have Donald Trump Trump is the overwhelming presence here, and they barely touched him. By the way, Donald Trump during this was truthing out at the candidates. He went after Nikki Haley far more than Ron DeSantis, so I think that tells you where, tells you where his head is. But it's really hard to see how they think they're going to be able to overtake him while barely laying a finger on him. David, what did you make of it? Uh, listen, I, I don't want to, you know, Kristen has said this before, and Abby said it as well. It seems small. The debate seems small for some reason, right? It, it, it seemed like people bickering back and forth. It was lost in the granularity. And I don't think either of these folks came across as particularly likable, which is incredibly important. You know, this is this is something that Trump does incredibly well, whether you like his policies or not. He walks into the Dairy Queen. Everybody loves him. It's a, it's a gaggle. You can just feel it. This, this stage, you know, nobody wants to sit next to either of those people on a long airplane trip. Right. They don't, that's not what you want to do. Right. And so you have to convey that you have to get that across somehow to the voters, because that's what it's, it's, it's to some extent a popularity contest. I mean, they did come right out of the gate, Jamie, attacking one another. It was in their their first statements, which was notable because in their back to back town halls last week, they kind of stayed out of the, the direct criticisms of one another. It's not surprising because they were both on stage, but it seemed like <laughs> they were forgetting almost that Donald Trump was in the race. No question about it. Look, the gloves came off. And I was told by both campaigns that that's actually what they wanted, mm -hmm. that Haley had to do a, a knockout punch and same for DeSantis. So that was certainly the tenor of what you got. But it turned into everything but liar, liar, pants mm -hmm. on fire. I mean, my wonderful... Only because there was a website. <laughs> <laughs> my wonderful producer, Elizabeth Stewart, has been going through the transcript, counting it up. Uh, I think we're now at 14 times that Nikki Haley said that. I, I spoke to someone on both the Haley campaign and the DeSantis campaign. The DeSantis uh, supporter said that they were pleased but it was not the knockout that he mm -hmm. needed. The Haley person said she's proving her point that he's the wrong guy, but not that she's the right one. Stand by, because I do want to hear the rest of your thoughts on how this night went for both of these candidates and what it meant for who was not on that stage. I do want to go back to Anderson, who is in Iowa right now. Caitlin, thanks very much. I'm here with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. How do you think it went tonight? Good. Um, you know, I think that it was lively, but that's that's what we need. We started with eight people, and that's hard because you're just kind of trying to get a word in edgewise. We had two people. I thought the, the moderation was, was great. I think it was substantive. All the questions were things voters would, would care about one from another. I do. I just heard a little snippet about that, about not taking on Trump. You know, I, I hit him. Obviously, he should have been on that stage and we would have mixed it up more. Mm. But, you know, they talked about his quote about the, using the Insurrection Act to go into the cities. He had the BLM riots on his watch. He never did a thing to stop any of the rioting. He didn't give any federal support. Uh, and so so we held him accountable for that. We held him accountable for not building the wall, not doing the deportations and other broken promises. But it's easier to do that when somebody's willing to go on the stage. And I think the reason that he doesn't go on the stage is because he knows that there are vulnerabilities in his record. Um, you were asked tonight about uh uh, the um, the character issue. You asked about uh, if you believe former President Trump has the character to be president again. I want to play what you said. 
I appreciated what President Trump did, but let's just be honest. He said he was going to build a wall and have Mexico pay for it. He did not deliver that. He said he was going to drain the swamp. He did not deliver that. He said he was going to hold Hillary accountable, and he let her, let her off the hook. He said he was going to eliminate the debt, and he added $7.8 trillion to the debt. So we need to deliver and get this stuff done. You didn't answer about whether or not he had the character. Well, I, that is how I view that question, is about leadership is not about the show. It's not about the entertainment, which he, he, he has a premium on that. He can beat anyone on that. Leadership's all about delivering results. And if you deliver the results, that's what people want to see. He was not able to deliver on those core promises. Do you think he has the moral character? Look, I think he's got, um, I think since the 2020 election, it's been, it's been interesting watching his evolution on social media. and everything. Let's just put it this way. Uh, I think that he doesn't get as much scrutiny uh, for, for the stuff he's doing on social media right now. I imagine if he ended up being the nominee, that's going to change. And I do think that would turn off a lot of voters. I want to play the thing you said about the Black Lives Matter protest that you were just referencing. Let's play that. He was president during the worst rioting in the modern history of this country, the BLM riots in the summer of 2020. When I saw that happening in Minneapolis, in Florida, I called out the National Guard. We had state law enforcement deployed. We said, you're not burning down our cities in this state. And you know what? It didn't happen. He sat in the White House and tweeted law and order, but he did nothing to ensure law and order. As your president, I will never let our cities burn. You have every right to stop this runaway rioting. As president, in fact, you have a duty. What do you think he should have done as president? Well, he did have the right to in invoke the Insurrection Act. I mean, that, that's one of the whole reasons the Constitution was created, because they feared mob violence. You had places like Minneapolis that, that were burning down. And by the way, that is not recovery. It's going to take probably decades to recover. He could have gone in and, and brought, brought in National Guard, federalized the Guard, and, and kept order. And I think it, because it, it came off the question about, you know, I think they're, in the media, they're, they're saying Trump is going to be some madman. He's going to abuse all his powers. And I, and I get that's a narrative. But if you actually watched his four years, a lot of the tale is him not using the perfectly lawful authority that he had. You, know, you, would, during you COVID, would have used the Insurrection Act. I would have used it. And then, for example, during COVID, a lot of us were telling him, to, to fire Dr. Fauci. He didn't have to put him on that COVID task force. Not only did he not do that, Fauci, uh, Trump's last day in office, he gave Fauci a commendation. He oftentimes would complain about people who were in his administration, but he had the authority to, to fire them uh, if these things weren't doing. And he never really did that. And so, you know, I, I get like people are trying to do the narratives, but I was there and I remembered he had opportunities to, to follow through on his campaign promises and didn't necessarily do it. Governor uh, Chris Christie obviously dropped out of the race. What did, what did you make of that? I was a little bit surprised. I mean, um, I thought that he was going to stick through New Hampshire and kind of kind of see how it goes. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, people got to do what they what they think is right. Um, Chris Christie was caught on a hot mic, as you probably know, before he made this announcement. Uh, he I, I just want to play what he said. She's going to get smoked and you and I both know it. She's not up to this. DeSantis called me petrified that I would. It then got garbled. You couldn't really hear. It, it, did you call him? And were yeah. you petrified about no, something? I mean, look, I've been to Fallujah and Ramadi. I mean, this is this is nothing. Um, I did call him just because I felt he was being treated poorly with all these people saying, like, you know, you, you should go. I said, I said, you have every right to do this. And I think a lot of it is and, and he and I have both kind of needled uh, Nikki Haley on it. 
uh, Chris is against Trump, right? Nikki is becoming a darling of the people who are more than ever Trump. Uh, and yet, she won't answer the question about whether she would accept the VP nod. Uh, and she gives all these you know, mealy-mouthed response. What's wrong with just saying, no, I would not under any circumstances say that. And I think the fact that she has not done that is part of the reason Chris had been staying in. And I think that's part of the reason I think he's had those choice words. Do you think she would agree to be vice president? I do. Under I mean, Trump. I do. Because I think, why would you not just say, I would not? I've said I would not. Why not just say that? She will not give a yes or no answer to that, because if she says yes, she loses support from the people that don't like Trump. Uh, if she says no, then that forecloses potentially her ability uh, to be on you, the ticket. And you say categorically you would not serve as vice president. Yeah, no. Trump and, and the reason is, is be, well, a couple reasons. One, um, I can do more for Florida uh, in the country uh, serving as president rather than my last two years as governor. But I can do more for Florida and the country serving the last two years as governor than being vice president. That's just, I mean, what did they say? A, a bucket of warm something not, not not good for TV? Like, it's not a job that you really do anything in. And the only reason I'm in office is to, to accomplish things uh, for folks. And so it has no appeal to me. I've said categorically I would not do it. And not just for Trump, uh, for anybody. There's a poll in New Hampshire that says uh, the second choice for a lot of Christie's supporters, would the majority is Nikki Haley. What would you say to Chris Christie's supporters tonight to try to reach out to them? Well, look, um, Chris, even though he was in a blue state, he has a more conservative record as governor of New Jersey than Nikki has as governor of South Carolina. We saw a lot of the differences tonight. I mean, I think her response, just constantly saying you're lying, does not, does not pass the smell test. She's on video saying all this stuff. I mean, literally, she was at a Fox News town hall the other night, said, the governor said, you said the Social Security age is way too low. I never said that. Then they play it. Okay, I did say it. So I don't think that that was effective. But I think that if you look at Chris, what he was able to do in a very blue state, his record was more conservative uh, than Nikki Haley's. And so, and I think if you look, I've been willing to hold uh, to Trump accountable I just do it more from the right than more focused on some of the things that the media likes to talk about. Uh, but I've been out there very frank and uh, and I let her rip. Uh, in terms of what you need to do here in Iowa, what is I mean, you in the past, you'd said you were going to win. Well, we're, in we're going to we're going we're to we're do well. But here's the thing. What is well I, for you? I do better when I'm underestimated. I, I like being the underdog. And so I'm not a prognosticator. I think if you look at what we've done here. The organization that we built, the tens of thousands of Iowans that have already committed to Coxville, everything. We've done it the right way. We've gone to all 99 counties. And I think you're seeing that. You're going to start to see that more and more even through the weekend as more and more people get. My people are going to come out in negative 20 degrees. It's going to be brutal they're, weather Monday. They're going to come out. They're going to come out and do it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I, I'd rather be underestimated. So I hope everyone says all that. And then on, on caucus night, you know, we're going to do well. But I've also pointed out. The people that have won Iowa, sometimes, a lot of times haven't won the nomination, and then people have lost and won. It's all about accumulating delegates. And so uh, the, there's, everyone's going to get some delegates here, and you kind of move on. Newton, Nevada is just me and Trump, basically, because Haley is not in the caucus there. Uh, yes, they, the, the state party's rigging it for Trump. We know that. But you know what? It's not going to be fair every place uh, in the country. So let's let's compete. So, so how, do you, how do you see, say, you second place in Iowa, whatever it is, we got a lot of we got a lot of room to, to do. Because New Hampshire, obviously, but, you have not been been. But we're gonna, as we're going to go in there, there. strong. We are going to do that uh, once Iowa's done. I mean, my view on it has been it's more of a momentum state. I think what happens in Iowa will we'll, we'll pay. I think you know I think we should have a debate there. I think WMUR is going to do one. We want to do that. Uh, we'll be we'll be barnstorming there all eight days and do well. So I think that that's been more a strategy there. And then then we'll go from South Carolina the day after that. 
probably take some a uh, couple days in Florida just to be at home for a couple days and then go to Nevada. We're going to compete in the Nevada caucus. I think that's really important. So you're going to start to see this. And I think, you know, Chris is out. Um, I think, uh, you know, Vivek, obviously, we didn't qualify for this debate. Um, and so then the question is, is, is Trump, uh, you know, how does he perform? Because I can tell you, I'm not seeing the enthusiasm for him on the ground that we've seen. You, know, you drive around Iowa, you don't see the flags, you don't see the things. You know, there's a lot of those people that are like, well, they're, they're saying he's going to be the candidate, so I guess. But then when we get in front of them, they're like, okay, you know, I'll do. I had a lady at the town hall last night, Fox News. She was leaning Trump coming in. She's like, well, after this, uh, you know, I'm from the governor. So as more people start to pay attention, and I've seen a difference in Iowa just since the calendar turn into 2024. More people are coming to our events. More undecided voters are coming. Uh, so I think the caucus night's going to be clarifying. I think these, uh, these things will be clarifying. But I think part of the, the fallout from the debate tonight is, you know, Nikki, you know, she just, you know, I think she lost her pool. She's constantly saying you're lying. That doesn't do it. Her record is her record. She wouldn't explain, you know, why she was taking these positions. And I think to just say that, I don't think that people buy that. Uh, I think you've got to be more substantive. And I think you've got to be credible as to how are you going to be a nominee of a party uh, that really is focused on working people and small business and less on the big corporations than maybe the old guard Republican Party. Her criticism of you is that a lot of those donors, which you were criticizing her for, used to be your donors. And that's actually not true. I mean, think about it. She's got the founder of LinkedIn, who's a liberal Democrat. That was never anybody. She's got BlackRock CEO. We, we kneecapped ESG in Florida. We took money out of our pen, uh, moved from BlackRock out of our pension. She's bragged about being there with Larry Fink. He's the king of ESG. So, I mean, those people were never um, in my camp. She She's got a lot of people who are, I think, more liberal donors. And then the question is, is, is why? I think a lot of it is because they're never Trumpers. That's why I find it odd that she just won't say she won't be the VP. Her nominee. other criticism of you was that you essentially have not run a good campaign, that you have wasted tons yeah, of money. Here's the thing. First of all, that, that's, that's all process stuff. She's citing uh, an organization that's an outside group that I don't even control. People in Iowa, they don't care about process stuff. They care about the substance and they care about the leadership. So she spent a lot of time focusing on. There has polling. been a lot of turnover in your campaign, though, hasn't there? In the PAC side that I don't control. But here's the thing. Um, uh, what does that have to do with what's going on in the country? I don't think people care about these PACs. So I just think like, you know, we had this. She brought that up in relation to her failure to do school choice. It's a huge issue for Republicans. We've delivered on it in Florida more than anyone. And she she did. She failed on it. And she blamed the legislature. And I said, that's not leadership. And then she pivots to talking about commercials and polls and stuff. No process stuff. I've not been asked one process question in any town hall I've done in any state during this whole campaign. It's all substance all the time. If you don't have a strong showing in, what is a strong showing for you here in Iowa? We're gonna do well. I mean, I'll let you guys play the expectation game. Um, I like, I'd rather be underestimated. I do better when I'm an underdog. Um, you know, we're gonna do well. Um, and I think people are gonna see, okay, who can honestly compete with Trump? Because if you look, if Trump weren't running, I would get most of those votes, right? Haley does not have purchase with core conservatives. And you have to do that to be able to win a Republican nomination. Like she's, she's going in New Hampshire, she's catering to more the Democrat leaning, which is fine in a general election. You know, you wanna be able to do that. But if you're not getting any support from conservatives, you are dead in the water, especially against somebody like Donald Trump. With me, I can compete with him in, in that lane in a one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that's what we're looking to do. Get it to a one-on-one, -on -one, get him on the debate stage, and then let people do it. You know, a lot of the times when you have differences, 
when you're on the stage together, that's when people really start to process that. And I think that's been strategic on his part to not be willing to go on the debate stage because he knows that this stuff would resonate with conservative voters. Viewers might not know, but your five-year-old son was in the front row in your wife's lap. Did he make it through the whole debate? He stayed the whole time, all the way to 10 p.m. And keep in mind, that's 11, 11 o'clock yeah, East Coast time. Impressive. He was a trooper. All right, Governor DeSantis, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Caitlin, back to you. Anderson, interesting conversation you had there. I had a lot of people here in the room talking. Ani, I wonder what you made of Governor DeSantis' answers there, listening to him, you know, going after Trump. his whole demeanor, right? Like Completely different than on stage. High energy, obviously feeling very good about his performance, um, very sort of light and chatty, and it makes you wonder, like, gee, maybe he could have been doing sit-down interviews a lot more if that was clearly... <laughs> that, guy, that guy was likable. Like, yeah, like, that seems a lot more interesting. I mean, the other thing I want to say is... Yes, he was trying to make comments about Trump, but Trump was down the street saying that if it wasn't for him, Ron DeSantis would be a pizza guy or at a law firm. <laughs> and I think that speaks to the shadow boxing going on here. They are pulling their punches on a person who doesn't even see them as relevant to the conversation. And that it's lucky they both talk about being underdogs because they are. Joel Simmons, what did you make of that? You know, that in, that interview was spectacular for Ron DeSantis. He was, as we've all said, he was very good in it. I was struck in the debate about something that was a much was a bigger thing for me. This idea of the class divide that exists inside the Republican Party now. He attacked uh, Nikki Haley. It's warmed over corporatism. He attacked her for making millions of dollars on a corporate board, and then he started talking about elites who sold out the middle class for China. It is amazing to me, as a Democrat, <laughs> to, sit, <laughs> to sit and hear the Republican Party basically sound like Bernie Sanders' wing of the Democratic Party. Um, meanwhile, Nikki Haley is running in New Hampshire where, there, where she's winning more educated voters, uh, wealthier voters, uh, people who are probably more moderate. It's interesting to know whether or not her victory in New Hampshire will at all help her after New if she wins New Hampshire, if she does really well in New Hampshire, if that will help her at all anywhere else after this, because it might be that Ron DeSantis is really more in touch with the working and middle class voters that now populate the Republican Party under Donald Trump. But the question is, of course, are those voters still with Donald Trump or are they willing to vote for uh, Ron DeSantis? And I wonder what you made of those, that argument, not only that you definitely saw Ron DeSantis making that appeal but also the, the question of whether or not Nikki Haley herself, who some argued had more to lose in this debate, whether or not she made up the ground that she's lost in some of her recent town halls and, and moments in Iowa. Well, this more populist turn in the Republican Party is not new. And in fact, it was kind of Donald Trump in 2016 mm -hmm. who heralded the beginning of that shift, who saw mm -hmm. a market out there in the GOP electorate and tapped into it. And so the problem DeSantis has run into is that he has been trying to run as Trump, but slightly not. And most voters who like Trump just kind of wanted the original formula. And so what's fascinating is that in that interview he just gave, he was not just Trump, but slightly <laughs> different. He was his own person. He was personable. He had his own message. And it's just, it is interesting to wonder what's the alternate universe where that guy shows up starting in January when Trump's poll numbers were a little bit lower. Republicans were still reeling from a tough midterm election. It's all interesting to wonder about this. Now, Nikki Haley, I think her problem tonight is her message is, I'm going to be a new generation of Republican. And her adversaries in the party say, 
there's nothing new about what you're doing. What you're doing is a back to the future. What you're doing is a return to the past, a, a Republican Party that doesn't <clears throat> exist anymore. And I think rather than her driving this narrative of new generation of leadership over and over and over again, that's the message discipline you need, not here's a website over and over again. And that's where I think she failed tonight. Yeah, the debate had strong 2016 vibes and hoping that, that Donald Trump will fall away and one of them will be able to take that back more in a moment. We have a lot more to discuss from that two-hour debate, including the man that we have been talking about, despite not being on that stage next to his two competitors, the former president and his competing town hall not far from where that debate took place. That and a look ahead as the voting is in just five days from now. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff, and some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Well, tonight's debate did share one thing in common with all the others up to this point. Donald Trump, the frontrunner so far in this race, stayed far away from the stage. This time he was at a televised town hall that was also happening in the same city in Des Moines, yet he did not show up to the debate. CNN's Kristen Holmes was tasked with watching it all unfold. She joins us now. Kristen, so what did the former president say when he was speaking with voters tonight? Well, Kaylin, he actually ended up backtracking on a lot of what we've heard him say on the campaign trail, in rallies, as well as in interviews. He has said that his campaign is about retribution. In fact, one of the lines from an early campaign speech was, I am your retribution. Tonight, when asked about that, he said, oh, I'm not going to have time for retribution if I'm reelected. He has refused to answer the question directly as to whether or not he would be a dictator in office, no matter how many times Sean Hannity tried to get him to, only saying, I'll be a dictator on day one and blowing off the question. And tonight, he used that same quip, but then followed it up with, no, I will not be a dictator. So it has to raise the question as to who exactly he's trying to reach with five days until that voting begins. Now, he was also asked about Chris Christie dropping out of the race. He used the opportunity to take on Nikki Haley. <coughs> take a listen. Chris Christie was... Uh in and uh, he got a hot mic I heard about. I thought actually the bigger story wasn't the fact that he dropped out. Nobody cared too much about that, but he had a hot mic where he was talking to somebody about uh, 
the weather and he happened to say that she doesn't have what it takes. She'll be creamed in the in the election. And I mean, I know her very well. And I happen to believe that Chris Christie's right. That's one of the few things he's been right about, actually. Obviously, in this tape, he said smoked that Haley would be smoked, not creamed. Uh, but I will note that I've talked to a number of senior advisors who are projecting confidence in New Hampshire, saying that this isn't going to affect what they believe the overall trajectory of the race will be, that Donald Trump is going to win. But, Caitlin, that being said, they are not a campaign that is acting as though Nikki Haley is not a threat. They are pouring $4.5 million between the campaign and the super PAC into advertisements hitting Nikki Haley on immigration in New Hampshire. I mean, for the next several weeks, the super PAC, MAGA Inc., is spending $1.3 million alone every week to attack just Nikki Haley. So clearly, despite their confidence that they are projecting, there is some concern there, and they do believe that her numbers are on the rise. Yeah, the truth always comes out in those advertising numbers and where they're putting their focus. But Kristen, at another point, he was also asked about comments that he's made in the past blaming people who are pro-life for some of the Republican losses, many of the Republican losses that, that we've seen across the country. What did he say about abortion? Well, Kalen, this is something that he truly believes. He believes that Republicans lost in 2022 because they went too far towards the pro-life movement. He doesn't believe it's a winning argument. He has said in private that he does not want to campaign on abortion. As we know, he has a very fine line to walk because he also wants to take credit for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So here's what he said. He essentially was saying, that you have to win elections first before you can make any changes. Take a listen. I happen to be uh, for the exceptions, uh, like Ronald Reagan with the life of the mother, uh, rape, incest. I have, I just have to be there, uh, I feel. I think probably 78% or so, Paul, about 78%. It was Ronald Reagan. He was for it. I was for it. But I will say this. Um, you have to win elections. Otherwise, you're going to be back where you were, and you can't let that ever happen again. You've got to win elections. Uh, if you look at it, Ron DeSantis, I don't know what he really believes, because, you know, you never know with a politician, and he's just another politician as far as I'm concerned. But uh, his poll numbers have gone down to a level that he's going to be out of the race very soon. So he was also asked specifically about the heartbeat bill. That's kind of what he's referring to there. It seemed like he was implying that Ron DeSantis had been down in the polls because he had signed a, an abortion ban in Florida. That was six weeks. But I do want to note one thing that we didn't play just now, because it's the first time I've ever heard Donald Trump actually say this out loud. We know he said it privately, but out loud. He said five to six weeks, we're talking about the heartbeat bill. Uh, some women don't even know they're pregnant, which is an argument that we've heard often, but not ever from Donald Trump himself and not often from conservatives or pro in the pro-life movement. Donald Trump has told people around him he does not want to get behind any sort of national abortion ban. Again, he doesn't think it's a winning issue. He doesn't want to sign off on that. That's why he's always trying to push this to the states. Caitlin? Yeah, but amazing to hear him articulate it because the reason six-week abortion bans can be in place is because the Supreme Court justices that he appointed helped overturn. That's the fine Wade. line. That's absolutely the fine line that he's going yeah. to have to continue to walk. And if he is the nominee in a general as well. Kristen Holmes, thank you very much for that. Anderson, back to you. Caitlin, thanks very much. Back here uh, with the panel in uh, in Des Moines. It is interesting to hear former president talk about abortion in that way, yeah. um, uh, given his appointment to the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, look, I like to remind people, Donald Trump, before he was the Republican candidate, he was very uh, pro-choice, you would say, in the political sphere, pro-abortion. Uh, he understands the politics of this issue. He is not wrong that the position that probably has the most support 
from the American public is one that includes more exceptions, that has a higher threshold, not six weeks, but more like 20 weeks, 15 weeks, 20 weeks. And he can say that because he put the justices yeah, on the Supreme right. Court, so he can get away with asking pass. for concessions because he can always pull out the card. I, I put them on the Supreme Court. I overturned Roe versus Wade. It's really hard for the other candidates to contest that. Ron DeSantis is trying by saying that he's not uh, you know, pro-life enough, but the voters do not agree. They, they simply do not agree with, with Ron DeSantis on that. But again, it's one of the many ways in which Donald Trump has just thrown out all the old rules, all the old principles of the Republican Party and made it the Trump Party. And this is what frustrates, whether it's Governor DeSantis or the 10 people who ran against Trump in 2016, uh, on abortion, an issue that usually does play in this state, has in past Republican caucuses been you know, the quicksand uh, for candidates who don't give the right answer. A lot of evangelicals, 60 percent plus of the voters on Monday here are like to identify as evangelicals. And Donald Trump, as Governor DeSantis was saying in the debate, he's changed his mind or he's abandoned us on this issue. He did raise the debt. He did not build the wall. And yet, you know, this is what frustrates the other Republicans, that Republican voters say, yeah, but he's Donald Trump. Can I make another point on what he said? Um, you know, it was interesting, the contrast he set up. Well, DeSantis, you know, he's a politician, so you got to take that, you know, that's the way he talked. I think people look at Trump and he says, you know what? you got to win elections. This is where the public is. Uh, I think, I, in a weird way, I think people say, well, he's being honest, he's authentic, he's not BSing us. Uh, and I think that's part of what works for him, and I think that's what's worked for him throughout his career. People do not look at him as a politician in the way that they look at a Ron DeSantis or a Nikki Haley or any of the others. Uh, I'm talking about his supporters here uh, who are very hostile to the prevailing politics. I think that's part of his strength. I agree with you that he has changed some of the party orthodoxy on a lot of issues, but you just heard him articulate his position on abortion, which actually is a traditional Republican position. It's been in recent years where the party has moved, I think, further and further to the right, but Trump uh, hugging Ronald Reagan on that actually is articulating a you know, for most of my career, what was the traditional Republican position? Pro-life, some reasonable limits for the exceptions. To Abby's point, that's a winning, that's a winning hand. If you get into an abortion debate uh, nationally, which I assume we're going to do because Biden's going to want to run on that, what Trump just articulated is not going to sound all that scary. And, and, and in the primary, he did the Supreme Court. Yeah. You can say whatever you want about Donald Trump. He did the Supreme Court. It's a he Trump did. card. Yeah. And the, the, so fun, but the fundamental issue, I think, for these other candidates is that Trump is, frankly, not a principled can candidate. So you can't kind of undermine him on the idea that he's uh, said one thing and done another. Voters have price that into Donald Trump, yeah. that he's going to change his position, that he's going to go where the political winds blow, and they are fine with that. And so if you're a Nikki Haley or a Ron DeSantis, it gets harder to try to kind of be in this sort of sanctimonious place <laughs> and, and say, well, he's not pure enough on this issue because the voters have basically said, well, that's his authenticity. Right. This, this is a real issue for these candidates. Yeah. They cannot undermine 
the flip-flopping, which voters see as authenticity. Transactionalism right. has become authenticity for him because a lot of voters are cynical about politicians right. anyway. Exactly. And they like they it don't that, believe you anyway. Well, they <laughs> like it that Trump admits the transactionalism, whereas they don't think the other politicians will admit it. And that's where he always scores on the authenticity. It's like he will tell you the truth, even if it makes him look like a, you know, like a flip-flopper on yeah. something. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Just ahead, we touched on this uh, a moment uh, ago. Uh, more on uh, what Chris Christie's decision ending his presidential campaign means uh, for this race, not without taking uh, a swipe at the remaining candidates' refusal to take on the former president. We'll talk about it with New Hampshire Governor and Haley supporter Chris Sununu next. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show, like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. When Governor Chris Christie announced that he was ending his presidential ambitions, he also said that he was unwilling to say that the former president, anyone who is unwilling to say that the former president is unfit to be president is, and I'm quoting Chris Christie now, unfit themselves. Haley and DeSantis were both asked tonight if the former president has the character to hold that office. Neither answered the question directly. Governor DeSantis did mention Trump not fulfilling his campaign promises. He gave a similar reply when Anderson just asked him that question again a few moments ago. Haley responded and said, quote, his way is not my way. Joining me now is Republican Governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu, who has endorsed Nikki Haley. I should note, Governor, thank you for being here. Why do you think both of the candidates on stage tonight were unable to answer that question with a yes or a no? Well, I don't, I don't think it's that they're unable. I think that the candidates spend their time talking about what they're going to deliver, right? This, this, they're not going to spend all their time just trying to, you know, do the Trump question and all that sort of thing. I know that gets kind of headlines, but they're there to earn the, the trust and the votes, specifically of the Iowa voters. It's effectively a neck-and-neck neck race. Um, I know DeSantis has said he's going to win Iowa. Trump says he's going to win Iowa. They've both set very high expectations. They're not quite the, the expectations on Haley's side, but she's obviously doing incredibly well because she's just still getting out there earning the votes, um, not worrying about what the other candidates do. So it, I don't, I'm, I'm not surprised about that at all. Um, you know, Nikki took on Trump, I think, pretty strong, uh, talking about January 6th, talking about election denial in, in the debate tonight. So uh, there's no question where Nikki stands. She's not playing for second place. She's playing to win this thing and bring this country together. And she's made it very clear where she stands on Donald Trump. Well, it's not just that it gets headlines, Governor, with all due respect. He is the, the front runner right now in this race by, by pretty wide margins, depending on which numbers you're looking at. Do you not think that they should be able to, to say yes or no if the person who is right now beating them in this race has the character to be president again? Well, again, I... I think it's a nuanced question. I really do. These guys are focusing on earning the votes. They're not going to start. They're not earning more votes by placating into an anti-Trump crowd, per se. They have Nikki Haley has to talk about what she's going to deliver, build a pro-Haley crowd. Ron DeSantis is trying to do the same thing. He's trying to build that pro-Ron DeSantis crowd. So you don't do that just by tearing, you know, the... 
Donald Trump down uh, 24-7. Chris tried that. God bless him. He had kind of a one-state, uh, you know, one-issue one strategy. It didn't work out. I applaud him. I think Chris is a good friend. He, he ran hard. It just didn't work out. It's not a winning strategy, uh, especially when you're talking to the Republican base, the Republican base that uh, just wants to see how we're going to galvanize the party together, how to bring the country together. Um, so I think they did a great job focusing on where their focus needed to be to build their base and their support to have a strong showing in Iowa. And obviously, Nikki isn't just trying to have a strong showing in New Hampshire. She's on the verge of winning this state. Uh, so it, it's a much different issue there as well. So that's what you have to do. You have to talk about yourself, grow your own support. You don't do that just by focusing on all the other candidates. Well, they didn't focus on him much at all. I mean, do you think that's a nuanced question to ask whether someone has the character to be president? I mean, do you think that Trump has the character to be president because you've endorsed someone else in this race? Look, I think most of us are all going to support the Republican nominee. There's no question, because when it comes to the, the general election and who's going to be president, you know, if it were Trump out there, let's remember he's running against Biden. We all need Biden to lose this socialism, this Bidenomics. It's all a bunch of bull. It's destroying the American middle class. It's destroying the American economy. This is crushing families. That's at the end of the day what, what folks are going to be are going to be focused on. So I get it. I mean, I get it's a, you know where folks are, where the media wants to go with, with questions like that. But, you know, it's it's a trap that they're not necessarily going to fall into. It's a trap that isn't going to build their base. Um, they're going to focus on themselves, and that, that should be expected. One thing that Governor DeSantis brought up when he was asked about that tonight is he believes that Trump is going to be on trial, and he was talking about that being a distraction. But, Governor, there's also a chance that, that the former president could be a convicted felon by the time people are voting. I mean, even if he's a convicted felon, if he is the Republican nominee, does that mean you're still going to vote for him? Look, I think right now, most of America, it looks like they would they would vote for him because he's winning. He's busy. Biden is so bad that Trump is actually beating Biden in most polls. But what about OK, you, so Governor? most of America is right there. Yeah, I'm going to support the Republican nominee. Absolutely. Yeah, like that shouldn't shock anybody. That shouldn't be surprised to anybody that the Republican governor and most of, actually of America is going to end up going against Biden because they need to see a change in this country. I, I know, again, have the, the, the issues around the election changed the dynamics of the Republican primary? No. That's not an issue right, with the Republican base right now. It's just not, and clearly not one that's holding the American public at large back because, again, by, you know, Trump is up you know, one point. I love Nikki Haley because she's up 10, 15 points on Biden. She wins Senate seats and House seats and governorships and brings all of that, those other opportunities to the states and the country to actually get stuff done. But, you know, make no mistake about it. Biden is that bad of a president that even Trump would win. You're saying he's that bad of a president that even Trump would win, even if Trump is a convicted felon? Yes, the polls say yes. People know that. Guys, I, I, the, the, four, the four court cases that are out there, we'll see kind of where they are. But right now, they're not playing into whether folks would vote for, for, for Trump or not. I mean, I'm I'm, it can be as surprised as that as you, but that, that's just where it is right now. That's, that's a fact. Look at the polls. The data is, is clear. And it's not just one poll. It's poll after poll after poll that shows that Trump would be kind of at least within that margin of error. It would be a nail biter, to be sure. Now, some of these other candidates like Nikki, they're going to win by double digits. And that's a fundamental difference. That means you actually get stuff done. But again, you know, you can talk about those issues as much as you want, but it's not what the American public is looking at. Maybe what the media is talking about, but not what the American voters are looking at right now. Well, it could be in the general election. Certainly, that's what even Governor DeSantis has articulated. Governor Sununu, thank you, though, for your time tonight here joining us.
And you back bet. with the panel now. Alyssa, I wonder what you make of, I mean, Governor Sununu had kind of inched closer in previous interviews saying that he would vote for Trump if he is the Republican nominee. He is obviously endorsing Governor Haley and he's out here supporting her. But he basically just point blank said, yes, he would vote for Donald <laughs> Trump, even if he is a convicted felon. Well, I'm not going to criticize my favorite governor, Chris <laughs> Sununu. I will say this. Um, Reading the tea leaves here, I think there's a bit of a dance that Republicans who are engaging in the primary need to play in. Um, he's obviously the most vocal supporter of Nikki Haley, the most prominent, somebody who could be instrumental in getting her over the edge in New Hampshire. I think for him to come out and go full Never Trump and go full Chris Christie could be harmful to Nikki Haley. So I'm going to read into this. This is a strategic calculation because fundamentally what I think was missed in that conversation, I know Governor Sununu knows, is there is a lot, there's a portion of the Republican Party that's not small that does care about having the conversation around Trump's character and around his fitness. Now, that's not where the base is, but we are also, we are a party that is going to, you need to turn out not just the base to win the elections, to be able to win a general election. And the idea that you would run a convicted felon against uh, Biden purely to beat Joe Biden, I mean, that, what would that say about our party? So I think... I'm assuming this is a tactic. I've heard it from other politicians kind of in this game, but I think the public is not there. I'm much more cynical. I think that uh, the Governor Sununu was, was, he knows that Nikki uh, I mean, Haley may, may, may be the vice presidential candidate <laughs> and, wants, and wants to keep that, that alive, right? He doesn't want to, you know, he's one of her biggest supporters but and doesn't want to. surprise you? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, you, you had an interview, uh, a famous interview a little bit back with the former attorney general who is no fan of uh, of the of the former president, and he said, "Listen, I will I will jump off that bridge when I come to it." Remember that? And so, yes, I do. A lot, a lot of <laughs> hard to forget. I do remember. <laughs> a lot, a lot, of, a lot of Republicans. You know, it is Joe Biden's famous quote: "Don't judge me against the Almighty; judge me against the alternative." And he's a pretty bad alternative. And all of this language well, you can translate around the idea of negative partisanship, which is that <laughs> so many voters basically go to the polls and vote against something, not for something. That's the it's work for Democrats. It's, wor <laughs> it's worked for a lot of people because that's the phase of politics that we're in. And I did hear a little bit of that kind of nihilism in <laughs> Sununu's comments as well. Sorry to be interrupted. No, no, no. I, you know, I listened to this and, and, it, and it reminds me, I'm going to admit something I probably shouldn't have been on national television, but I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, right? Mistake. But let me tell you, but a lot of my friends are Beyonce fans. And so when everybody got really excited about Taylor Swift, I was like, what, what's that Taylor Swift thing? All my friends went to go see Beyonce, not Taylor Swift. I think about that when he starts talking about Joe Biden being so bumbling. I think so many Republicans live in an information funnel where they're constantly fed information about Joe Biden. He stumbles down the stairs. He's polling badly. He can be beaten by anybody. So why not have Donald Trump? Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by 7 million votes. <laughs> Joe Biden got over But that was a different Joe Biden, Jamal. He I got think. over 300 electoral college votes. He's the only person in politics that's ever beaten, that's ever beaten Donald Trump, right? Yeah, and in 20, that, that, <laughs> so, that, 2020. My point, my point is this. I think this information funnel is going to lull Republicans into a sleep. And in the same way that many Democrats don't believe, you said this earlier, don't believe Donald Trump may actually end up being the nominee, I think people need to wake up a little bit and realize these two people may be on the ballot and they're going to be very tough for each one of them to beat the other. I think Beyonce and Taylor Swift probably don't want to be compared to either of them. <laughs> we'll be right back That's to cool. have Jamal finish that thought. That thought, everyone stay there the because I do want to welcome our viewers who might just be joining us tonight. It is now midnight here. <laughs> in New York, 11 p.m. in Des Moines, where Anderson is. And we are now less than five days out from the Iowa caucuses. The final Republican presidential debate before those first votes are going to be cast is now in the books. 
Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, the only two making the cut this time. Donald Trump again staying away, holding that town hall instead nearby. For more on how all of this landed, I want to go over to our Gary Tuckman. He's with a group of voters that we've all gotten to know throughout the campaign as they and he spent debate nights together watching and talking about it. Gary, I know the gang is back assembled. The gang is back together, Anderson. We've watched all five of these Republican debates with the same group of loyal Republicans from Story County, Iowa, right in the middle of the state. The largest city is Ames, Iowa, where Iowa State University is. Four of them we watched on TV in Story County, but we invited them to Des Moines. They took the 35-mile drive down here to watch it in person. It's nice being with all of you again. The very first question I have for you, who do you think won this debate? I'm going to ask for a show of hands. The reason we're with the same group of people all five times, we want to see what's changed in their opinions and what hasn't changed. So, who thinks DeSantis won this debate? One, two, three, four. Who thinks Haley won this debate? One, two, three, four. That's eight. Looks like some people, who did not vote? Why didn't you vote? I, I thought Donald Trump won the debate. I thought it was kind of Well, he wasn't here, but you're saying he won by not being here. Exactly, yeah. And Jim, I think you think the same thing. Yes, I do. So four, four, two. So we have a draw. What's interesting, the first debate, you thought Ramaswamy won. The second debate, DeSantis. Third and fourth, Haley. And now we have a draw. For those of you who picked Haley, tell me why you thought Haley won this debate. Well, I think we expected them to go at each other, and, and obviously that's a little bit uncomfortable, but I think she did a good job defending some of the attacks that we've been seeing in the state and really explaining why they were not true, and then also at the same time talking about vision for the future and why she would be the best to go up against Joe Biden, which brings coattails all the way down the ballot. Do you think won the debate? Why do you think you said? I actually think just the opposite. I felt like Haley didn't stand up for herself as much as I'd seen her do in the past. I felt like she was weak, and when she couldn't come up with some answers, she kept deferring to how DeSantis isn't a good leader because he can't manage his campaign finances. Well, the important question we have here after these five debates is are all of you, most of you, when we started, were undecided which Republican candidate you were going to caucus for. None of you were about to switch to the Democrats. But none of you had decided which candidate, a couple of you had. But now everyone is ready to caucus. Raise your hand if you are ready to caucus for Ron DeSantis. One. Raise your hand if you're ready to caucus for Nikki Haley. One, two. Raise your hand if you're ready to caucus for Donald Trump. One, two, three, four. Is there anyone, any other candidate who anyone else here is gonna caucus for? Who did not raise their hand? Three of you. So you're not going to caucus. It's going to be oh, too yeah. cold for. No. It's supposed to be like 30 caucus. below wind chill on Monday. You're not going? No, oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Why, why didn't you raise your hand? You're not, because you're, I'm not decided yet. So who are you thinking between? Between Trump and DeSantis. And how do you make your decision between now and Monday? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. What about you, Cody? I'm also stuck between uh, Trump and DeSantis. And uh, we'll, I, we'll just see how it goes, I guess, the feeling that I get on Monday. You're going to wait for the feeling. The feeling. The feeling better strike, because okay. I don't have an answer now. And who else hasn't decided? You haven't. Yeah, same. Who are, your, who are the candidates you haven't decided between? Uh, Trump and, and DeSantis. Now, how are you going to decide, Tom? Uh, just keep watching. And keep I Keep watching what? You've yeah, watched I know the it. preeminent debate. I know it. Uh, I'm looking for a sign. A, a sign. sign? Yeah. Okay. Well, 
If it happens while we're talking for the next minute, let me know. (laughs) Have you learned anything from these five debates? For example, have any of you completely changed your mind about the candidate you were going to caucus for from watching these five debates? Anybody? For example, what were you thinking, Judy, when the the debate started? Who were you thinking of caucusing for? I had no idea. That's why I started coming to the debate watch parties, so I could watch the debates and have other people and their comments and see if I could, if it could help me make up my mind. So no one's changed their mind, basically. Some of you are undecided, but have any of you switched from one candidate to the other? Yes, Cody. I, uh, when these started, I was pretty certain on DeSantis, and he's done good in the debates. It's not that that's changed my mind, but now that Trump is polling a lot better against Biden and has uh, seemingly a much better shot in the swing states, I find myself kind of leaning back towards Trump, and I'm stuck in the middle between But are them. any of you bothered by the fact, maybe politically it makes sense that Donald Trump wasn't here, but you haven't learned anything from him because he wasn't in any of the five debates. Does that bother any of you? Yes. I, I don't think it bothers me. I think you know, he's out on the road a lot. He's doing town halls. He's you know, at uh, Sioux City. He's in Davenport. He's in Des Moines. And so I, I think that we're really getting a good gauge of where he stands on the issues. Would I like for him to come to the debates? Of course I would. But I think it helps him not being here because all they would do is attack him because he's a clear front runner. And so I think at the end of the day, Donald Trump won this debate. And I think that um, that's why a lot of people are going to go out well, and talk he, he didn't win this debate. He wasn't at this debate. What do you think about it? Um, I think that you have to earn the vote of Iowans. And not showing up the debates, not putting in the work, not even visiting, you know, a majority of counties in Iowa, you're losing Iowans' vote by not caring about them. Well, regarding the abortion issue, he's been criticized for that. He, he could have cleared it up if he was here. Does that trouble any of you? I would like to see him at least at this debate. I certainly understood the strategy of not detaining the first ones, but I would like to have seen him here. But it, it certainly hasn't this way uh, Final changed question. my mind. Final question for you all. Were these debates good for the Republican Party? Yes. All right. Do you, are you confident the Republican Party is going to win this presidential election? Yes. Yeah. Any of you have any doubts? No. Not even because of some of the things Donald Trump is accused of and might get in a lot of trouble for? Well, you are innocent to proven guilty, but it remains to be seen what happens to him. But you're all confident about your party's chances. Yes. Thank you all for talking with us. It's we, what we want to end this by saying is thank you for joining us each of these five times. Pleasure meeting all of you. And Nikki Haley won most of these debates. There are two and a half of them because she split the win this time. But it's Donald Trump who's going to get most of these people's <laughs> votes at the caucus five days from now. Back to you, Anderson and Caitlin. Gary. Gary, thanks very much, and uh, thank everybody for participating yet again. Back now here with uh, with the panel. Always, I mean, it's interesting to hear and see the evolution of those folks over this time. Yeah, I think it's about. I think that's about kind of where these have ended up. They're all interested. They're flirting. They're dating with these other candidates. They like Nikki Haley, but at the end of the day, most of them are caucusing for Donald Trump. And we will see what happens next week. But that has been the sentiment all along. And closing the deal for these other candidates has been much more difficult than uh, than perhaps they appreciated. E- even at the stage that Nikki Haley is in right now, uh, she's still left some things to be desired for these voters, clearly. I think the math there, 
is kind of what we'll be going through on Monday night. If 10 voters, just take every 10 voters going to a caucus, if there are four or five votes for Trump, and then two for DeSantis yeah. and two for Haley, or maybe the, the next county over is three for Haley and two for DeSantis, then that's how Trump wins. Right? That's how Trump wins. And so then the question is, does he get over 50? Because he's, he's essentially an incumbent president, right? He's the leader of the Republican Party. Does he get over 50? And then what's the gap between whatever, wherever Trump right. is and who is second? And are second and third clumped together? My first caucus here, you had Gephardt, Simon Dukakis. They were all within a point or two of each other. Yes. The Iowa was like, huh, who knows? On to New Hampshire. Dukakis ends up, you know, becoming the nominee. Uh, if Trump comes out of here with a huge lead, if that helps him in New Hampshire, where, where that's probably his weakest state, at least early on, the, early on the calendar, that would be his weakest state because under independents can vote and other people can vote. But I think that was representative of what we're going to be doing Monday night. Does Trump really get half? And then yeah. what's, how's the other half split? Well, it's always been true that if DeSantis and Haley run relatively close to each other, that's a huge plus for Trump. Yeah. And that, it feels like that may be uh, where we're heading. You know, just watching this whole thing tonight, listening to these people, uh, the fundamental flaw of the DeSantis campaign from the beginning was that he could uh, offer himself as a new and improved Trump. You know, a Trump, a Trump who eats with a fork and knife or whatever you want to say. But he uh, and the fact is, they you know, there are a lot of people who want the real thing here. Uh, and no matter how well I think DeSantis, you know, he said tonight uh, that he likes to be underestimated. Well, he spent most of this campaign setting himself up to be underestimated. Right. And then he got pretty good at the end. Uh, but, you know, the, the strategy is one that you have to question. Uh, you know, he wasn't going to depose the champion. And one other point about that, you know, he says, you, in your conversation earlier, he says he's in. He was talking about Nevada and South Carolina and going on, and he's just trying to give a show. However, if he comes in a distant third here, there will be a lot of pressure on him, number one, to get out, to give somebody a clear shot at Trump. That's what the anti-Trump people will say. But he's also the governor of a big state. And you don't want to get so, too weakened politically, especially if you think you might want to have a future. So, the, but the question there is, to his point, and it's an it's an interesting point he made that you know his supporters. We, we talked about the poll earlier where Christie, so 65% of Christie's supporters in New Hampshire said in our poll they would go to Haley, that Haley would be their second choice. DeSantis's point was he thinks a lot of his supporters would go back to Trump. Yeah. Mm -hmm. or, or, yeah vice, which would or, be interesting. Or vice versa. He said that he thought Trump supporters would come to him. But the question in my mind was like, who's going to get rid of Trump so that those voters come to you? <laughs> well, it's like not going to happen by osmosis well, the, unless he's the, waiting on The other reality in New Hampshire is there aren't a lot of DeSantis voters to split up. Right. I mean, it's only like five or six percent. Let me tell you something that's evaporated from the Republican Party. The idea that even if you like Donald Trump, you got to vote for somebody else to try to beat Joe Biden. That's the one thing that really destabilized both DeSantis and Haley, everybody else. For a long time, that was a conventional wisdom. Everybody loves Trump, but nobody wants to lose. But the worst thing that ever happened to DeSantis and Haley were all these national and swing state polls showing Donald right. Trump beating Joe Biden. Now, I don't know if he's destined to beat Joe Biden or not, but in the average Republican mind right now, the strategic voting argument is completely devastated when you pick up the paper or pick up your Twitter feed in the morning, X feed, sorry, and, and you're like, wait a minute, the guy that I really like, the original, the authentic thing is actually beating Joe Biden and vindication is at well, hand. And so yeah, and I yet think they still tried to work tonight. And by the way, yeah, the Biden's idea she, they still tried to work the yeah. idea that he's too uh, freighted. And, and maybe, that, and and maybe and, they're right. And yeah. maybe they're right. And, and honestly, Trump 
might be harder to elect. The flip side argument is if he's not the nominee, how many uh, infrequent political participants that would vote for Donald Trump wouldn't vote for any other Republican? And that's an argument you don't hear a lot. But there's a lot of people he brings into this thing that they're not sticking around for some other average run-of-the-mill politician. The other argument that didn't really pan out was that voters would penalize the former president for not participating in these debates. That that would be a sign. These these focus group voters, that certainly wasn't an issue for them. Ron DeSantis uh, did criticize the former president for not participating. I just want to play some of what he said. Donald Trump should be on this stage. He owes it to you here in Iowa uh, to explain this change he's had and his positioning, to explain why he has a tough time saying whether a man can become a woman or not, uh, to explain why he wants to build a bi- billion-dollar-plus big, beautiful new FBI building right in the heart of the swamp in Washington, D.C. Uh, he needs to explain why he didn't build the wall uh, and why he added $7.8 trillion to the debt. Every candidate needs to earn your vote nobody's entitled to your vote. And he comes in here every now and then, he does his spiel, and then he leaves. I've shown up to all 99 counties because it's important. You're a servant of the people. You are not a ruler over the people. I think, I think DeSantis, the kind of candidate he is, not yet a national candidate, he had to come here and work it. But the average Iowa Republican caucus goer knows Donald Trump. They know him. They knew him in 16. He didn't win here, but they knew him. They knew him as president. They knew him in 20. They know him right now. They don't need him to drive around to 99 counties to know him. And I'm not sure there's a piece of information that could be introduced about him that would make you like him more or like him less right I mean, now. You heard in that. I'm sorry, Abby. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we were going to say the same thing, perhaps. In the focus group, yes. they were like, would have been nice to hear from him, but we know what he we stands for. The voters are not yeah. pining to hear Donald Trump in the sense that they need him to be tested by Nikki yeah. Haley and Ron DeSantis. In fact, it would be so much more beneficial to Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis for them to get batting practice oh. against Trump uh, rather than Trump to get batting practice against them. I think it also goes back to the point you guys were making earlier about Trump's brand. Trump's brand is, I'm the rally guy. I'm not the retail guy. Uh, and he's been able to sell that. You know, again, old school Iowa, you're supposed to go to all 99 yeah. counties. You're supposed to have the county chair and you're supposed to do all that stuff. Donald Trump has just reinvented that part of it. And, to your, and you're right about that. He has brought new people into the party. I do think Monday night, again, that's going to be a huge test. Who shows up? Especially right. if it is as cold as they say it is going to be. Well, the be. one thing that Donald Trump has this time that he didn't have in 2016 is a real organization. Right. He's yeah. got real pros running it. They have a very well-conceived plan about how to go after... Uh, voters who are registered, who are Trump people, who don't, haven't participated uh, in the caucuses, and uh, and they've got a lot of manpower. Uh, which, which again is so interesting because there was also that argument a while ago, which was, well, who will he find to work for him? You know, who who of quality would work for him? He has good people around him. Yes, yeah, yeah. for yeah. for this race. Yes, yes, yes. And, and speaking of the of the team, I, I think through this debate process. You know, they made the strategic decision not to participate in any of this stuff. And they've been criticized for it by the other campaigns. They have not been penalized for it by the voters. And look what happened tonight. You got Haley and DeSantis up there ripping each other apart. And Donald Trump's over on Fox News hammering batting practice fastballs into the upper deck. And heading into an Iowa caucus, heading into New Hampshire... Who strategically would you rather be? Someone yeah. hammering those batting well, practice pitches the or these two? I mean, they, that was they the made point the right the guy call. In, that was the yeah. point the guy in the focus what group was making. Trump has won 
every one of these yeah. debates because his opponents were tearing each other apart and he basically uh, danced and, away from it. And look, I mean, from what I've seen of what Trump did in that town hall, I'm not sure that any of the sort of moments, the more, more controversial ones, the gaffes or whatever, would even have been challenged by DeSantis and Haley if they were on a debate stage. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem, too. Uh, Trump says all kinds of stuff, but they're not really willing to go there to, to take him to task on it. So, so really, what would be the point? The other thing, as you interviewed Ron DeSantis, talking about what are the expectations for him, on the organizational front, Trump is more organized this time around. So is DeSantis. Yeah. He's supposed to be. But if he ends up coming out of Iowa, basically in the same place as Nikki Haley, to me, that calls into question the value of all of that ground game well, you here know in what, Iowa. Abby, because I mean, what I mean, has it been Having for? participated in this process for winning campaigns and losing campaigns, it turns out that you can be really well organized, but you have to have a good candidate, too. I mean, you have to have the product. It's not just the, 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 the deliverance of the product or the, or, or the operation to bring voters. It all has to work together. And, uh, you know, for the longest time in this campaign, he wasn't a very effective candidate. And the bigger point is he was fishing in Trump's pond mm. And uh, and that was a, a by the a way when you're when you're working for Kennedy, do you call them the product to their face? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd be curious to know. Yes. Okay. Only only after the fact on national television. <laughs> uh, uh, we got to take a quick break just ahead of fact check on on what we saw uh, tonight at this debate. A perspective from our Jeff Zeleny, who's been on the campaign trail, including in Iowa, almost nonstop. We'll be right back. It was the final debate before the first contest of the 2024 election that played to an audience of Iowans who have been seeing more candidates up close in the last few weeks than most Americans see in a lifetime, maybe even more than their family members. Jeff Zeleny has been on the ground in Iowa talking to these voters for the last several weeks, really months here. So he joins us now with what he made of tonight's debate going on and what caucus goers may have made of that. Jeff, you know, you've been talking to a lot of these voters. What are their top issues? What are their thoughts on these candidates? What stood out to you tonight? Well, Caitlin, believe it or not, there are still voters who are undecided going into the uh, final stretch here, the final four days of campaigning. And you may wonder, how can you be undecided after millions of dollars in television ads? If you're uh, into politics, you've likely had a candidate either drop by your town or knock on your door. And the reason is uh, some of these candidates, uh, some of these voters, excuse me, are looking for a winner or looking for uh, someone they believe can be the leading alternative to Donald Trump. So talking with some of these voters who are watching the uh, debate, uh, tonight. Uh, basically, you know, the debate uh, validated their views. If you liked DeSantis going in, you liked him coming out. If you liked Haley going in, you thought she did very well. But a couple things stand out here in the next uh, couple days. The candidates are... Um, are moving to strategic points across Iowa. Nikki Haley is focusing on the suburban areas, the larger suburban areas. That is a key part of her strategy, trying to win over some of those perhaps moderate Republicans, but also some of those uh, people who want to move on from the former president. as far as the Florida governor, he is flying early tomorrow morning to Rock Rapids. That is near South Dakota, about as far away from uh, here in Des Moines as you can get. He'll be having five events tomorrow. So he is really trying to touch as many people as he can. So, Kaylin, at the end of all of this, the ground game and organization is so important. But as is the mechanics of all of this, as is the, the momentum. So uh, one 
DeSantis advisor I talked to tonight um, was uh, pretty optimistic, but they expressed a little bit of disappointment in the sense that they thought that Nikki Haley would be back on her heels more and would be more um, sort of defensive. That was not the Nikki Haley we saw. We saw her with an air of confidence tonight. So going into the final stretch here, both of these candidates are essentially at parity. But Caitlin, more importantly, they're in each other's way to be the leading alternative to Donald Trump. Yeah. Caitlin. And he is certainly still leading, definitely in Iowa. Jeff Zeleny, thank you for that, those takeaways from voters back here with the panel. And David Urban, listening to, to Jeff saying, you know, they're looking for a winner here. They're trying to see what that candidate is going to look like. Did any of the performances tonight, either of them, change voters' minds, do you think? I don't know. If, if, if people watched the Anderson Cooper interview of Ron DeSantis, <laughs> that may have changed their mind. I'm not sure how many people tuned in in Iowa after that, but... Uh, I'm not quite sure that anybody you know, made the case that they could be the alternative tonight who hadn't, you know, we watched uh, the interview of the, the Iowa voters, right? The people in the, you know, the kind of the watch group and, and those people were set already in their ways. And so nobody switched over during, you know, no one, it, the debate tonight or any debates to, the, to that point had, had switched their, their mind. So I don't think anybody really, things have changed. I think Trump is still the guy to beat here, clearly. And I think that the folks will, uh, you know, I was just talking with Kristen about this before, you heard the gentleman say, I, I, you know, the day I wake up, when I wake up that day, I'll kind of make my mind up. You know, I was wondering if, if that's the kind of person that's going to go there and vote for Trump, because it's the it's what they know. right? It's kind of muscle memory. This is how I've described the Republican mm. electorate using a kind of a goofy analogy. It's like somebody who really likes meatloaf and they go to the diner every <laughs> week and they order meatloaf. And then one day the server comes by and goes, you know, we have some specials today. Maybe they're interested in the specials. If you tuned into tonight's debate, you wanted to hear the specials. <laughs> I don't know if anybody watching tonight's debate is going to say, you know what, maybe I won't order the meatloaf. And that's the problem that they're facing. <laughs> People, I think, are still going to go with what's comfortable right now. 40 to 50 percent of Republican voters in Iowa think Donald Trump is comfortable. That's probably enough. Well, we heard earlier from Trump on, on abortion and that answer that he gave and smart. saying about what was a winner, what was not. There was also an extended back and forth between Governor DeSantis and Governor Haley on their views on abortion, obviously something that is very important to voters in Iowa. I just want to listen to what that sounded like. I think she's been confused on the issue. I think she's trying to speak to different groups with different things. But when she says things like pro-lifers need to stop talking about uh, throwing women in jail, that's a trope. No one I've ever met thinks that that's something that's appropriate. Uh, these women are in vulnerable situations. They don't get any help a lot of times from, from these fathers who you know, don't want to be there supportive. A lot of times they don't have resources themselves. So it's a very difficult situation. Uh, and we've got to have compassion for those situations. But I think when she starts bringing that in, that's using the language of the left uh, to try to attack pro-lifers. So I think that, that that is wrong. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican Party tells me to be, but because my husband is adopted. And I've got my two sweet children sitting in front of me, and I had trouble having both of them. These fellas don't know how to talk about abortion. I have said over and over again, the Democrats put fear in women on abortion, and Republicans have used judgment. This is too personal of an issue to put fear or judgment. Our goal should be how do we save as many babies as possible and support as many moms as possible. That's what we're going to focus on doing. We're not going to demonize this issue anymore. We're not going to play politics with this issue anymore. We're going to treat it like the respectful issue that it is. And the tropes that you want to talk about, you keep saying, where is anybody talking about putting a woman in jail or giving her the death penalty? South Carolina. There is legislation right now that would put a woman in jail if she got an abortion. Thank you, Governor. That's why I say Thank that. Thank you, Governor. So... I do want to remind. 
the arguably the winning line of the night for Nikki Haley, these fellas don't know how to talk about abortion. We're not going to judge women. We're not going to demonize them. In any traditional election environment, take the Trump factor out. She would by in a way be the front runner because she can tackle an issue like this that matters to the base, but that in the post-Roe era, you cannot have as hardline of a stance as Ron DeSantis does. We have seen ballot initiatives in deep red states protecting abortion rights that Republicans have turned out to vote for in Ohio, in Kansas, in Kentucky. There is a disconnect in the post-Dobbs era of where Republican voters actually are, and Nikki Haley's re representing the broader view there. But on the flip side, you had Donald Trump, Trump on another network today actually going against Ron DeSantis saying he wants the six-week uh, ban on, he wants to ban abortion after six weeks, and basically saying we need to be pragmatic. Her answer reflects both the pro-life viewpoint and I think a majoritarian in the Republican Party viewpoint, whereas Donald Trump's just flip-flopping on it. And it's going to be on the ballot in Florida, we know as well. Jimmy, what did you make of that? Look, I, I just want to, I'm sorry, I have to go back to Governor Sununu a minute because <laughs> I'm, I'm a little obsessed with it and I didn't get a chance to say something. You know, when Nikki Haley's most prominent surrogate right now, right after a debate, basically says he would vote for Donald Trump, a convicted felon. I think at the end of the day, all of these policy, all the substance, yes, it's important, it's interesting. But this is Donald Trump's party. It's his race. As Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, said, he hijacked the party. Governor Sununu is a very adept politician. He could have pivoted. He could have said, we're not going to talk about Donald Trump tonight. He didn't show up. He's a coward. <coughs> but they have learned what we saw earlier tonight from Chris Christie. Mm -hmm. You hit him head on, and you're not in the race anymore. And so essentially you think all the substance that they went through tonight, social security, health care, abortion, Ukraine, it doesn't really matter because people, a huge surrogate for Nikki Haley in the first primary state still says he's willing to vote. When for we saw vote. Gary Tuckman's focus group, you know, who won such and such, said Nikki Haley, some said uh, DeSantis, who are you going to vote for? Donald Trump, most of them. And also pay attention to what Trump himself pays attention to. And um, one thing I noticed about his posture tonight in his town hall was that it was much more calm, a little less demagogue, and actually addressing some of the issues that people have raised concerns about, specifically um, the dictatorship concept, how he would sow chaos, whether there would be retribution. These are things that I know it was a million years ago that Joe Biden uh, presented very well in a speech, and I heard Donald Trump answering that. He didn't bother with any of this stuff that they were talking about, but he knows it does resonate with people, the concept of chaos and the fear of what he might do. And he was trying to counter that by presenting kind of like a calm image. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense because people haven't seen a lot of them. People haven't been paying attention. They've only seen him in courtrooms. And he's starting to roll out the version of himself he thinks will be more appealing. I think appealing. that's 100% mm -hmm. correct. In 2016, he ran as the chaos guy and voters said, Yes, that's what we want. And then in 2020, he tried to run again as the chaos guy on the bull in the said, China Trump. People uh, said, I don't know if yeah. I like that. A little too that. much. Yeah. Little but too this much. time around, both Biden and Trump, I think, get that voters don't want chaos. And the problem is voters think that Biden, you might have the control room is empty. Trump, that's a wrecking ball. So who's actually going to create stability, calm, normalcy in my life? Voters want it. 
it must be that Trump's advisors have gotten to him and have said, oh, yeah. you need to tone this down. And he was arguing However, that it was overblown. He, he was arguing that it was another conspiracy um, like the other things that like Russia or Ukraine. This is what he was saying about how people are viewing his threats to the electoral process. He's arguing the chaos stuff is overblown because yes. that I, I watched a moment tonight, a debate in 2015. It could have been tonight. Jeb Bush was calling Donald Trump the chaos yeah. candidate, and Donald Trump said, that's not true. They want you to think I'm unhinged, but I'm not unhinged. Yes, I'm but now he person. has a whole narrative behind him around the prosecutions themselves. Every single prosecution is part of his ongoing narrative of persecution. And the difference <coughs> is how he's presenting that to the public. It's starting to be a pivot. And it's not what we see in the stump speeches, where he's saying, I am your retribution. But the problem... Oh, go ahead. But we should always remember, also remember this. This campaign, while these debate, debates great, Donald Trump's town hall was, was great, they're also going to be fought out on social media. So a lot of this debate will end up cut up into clips and put on Instagram, put on TikTok, put on Twitter. People will never see the context of it. So um, one of the things the Biden campaign will do was, is remind people that he says he's not chaos, but look at January 6th. He says he's not chaos, but he appointed the Supreme Court justices that got rid of Roe. And look at what's happening to women around the country when they try to get abortions or when, when it doesn't work out. So there will be enough evidence in the social media context to make the case. And then tonight, just lastly, Nikki Haley said something that I'm sure will end up, won't be on social media because these voters may be too old. But she said that she wanted to raise the Social Security age. This is, I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. Social Security is a killer in a general election for somebody who says they want to raise the Social Security age with older voters. She did specify for younger voters, though, not for those who've already paid in. That's but what, it's uh, sure. In soundbite context, you're right. That's not what the TikTok ad is not going to like that. We'll see if that context is in there. We have to take a break here. We will be back in just a moment because up next, Governor DeSantis made a pretty big claim tonight about doing more than President Biden to help Americans who are in Israel after October 7th. We'll have a fact check on that and more comments from tonight's debate in just a moment. And welcome back. We're in Des Moines, Iowa. The candidates threw around a lot of claims tonight on the stage. Right now we want to see how some of them stand up to the facts. In the name of keeping them honest, you know, Tom Foreman is here with a report card, starting with a claim that Ron DeSantis made about his actions after Hamas's October 7th uh, terror attack on Israel. Tom, what do you, what, uh, what'd you see? Hey, Anderson, DeSantis accused the Biden administration of turning a blind eye to Americans stuck in Israel after that attack by Hamas. Listen. And you know what? Biden wasn't helping Americans get out of the war zone. These are people that were stranded. So I did an executive order. We scrambled planes and we rescued over 700 Americans from Israel and brought them back safely to the state of Florida. The attack was on October 7th. As the counterstrikes began, the U.S. State Department began arranging departures for Americans. And the first official flight came out on the 13th. Only the day before that did DeSantis declare a state of emergency to free up funds in Florida for the same purpose, so his airlift of Americans did not begin until after the Biden administration's effort was well underway. DeSantis has claimed that he had to do the job because the White House would not is false. Anderson? You also fact-check comments Nikki Haley made about immigration during her time as uh, U.S. ambassador to the U.N. 
Yeah. Uh, she said tonight that when she was at the United Nations as part of Team Trump, they took very strong and very effective action to impede illegal crossing of people and drugs over the U.S.-Mexico border. We went and put drug boats on the water to keep the drugs from coming. But we said, you have to have them processed from here. You can't have them come. We were able to stop that flow. We've got to go back to do that. We were able to stop that flow. That's a big claim. While Pew Research found apprehensions of people in 2019, for example, rose to the highest level in 12 years, Team Trump's stiff enforcement did not stop the flow and the number of apprehensions still remained below what we have seen in years past. And of course, DEA numbers have never shown the flow of drugs across the border to have stopped under any modern president either. So she overreached. Haley's claim is false. Anderson, we have a whole lot more. You can go to our website, CNN.com, where we have all of our fact checks. All right, Tom, thanks very much. I want to show everyone the calendar of upcoming uh, Republican presidential contests. These are all occurring over the next six plus weeks. Obviously, there are the Iowa caucuses on Monday, eight days later, the New Hampshire primary, then on February 8th, the Nevada caucus, and then on February 24th, another big one, the South Carolina primary. Back now uh, with our panel. So let's talk about how this and what the next couple of weeks look like. After, well, after what happens here. If you look at the calendar, again, I think as we go through the policy differences, the personal difference, the squabbling between the two candidates on the debate stage tonight or with Donald Trump, if you put that calendar back up on the screen, right there, you see the New Hampshire primary. If you're going to stop Donald Trump, you have to do it in either January or February, uh, but I would argue if he gets two wins out of the gate, yeah. then, then it yeah. becomes almost impossible. It, it, nothing's ever impossible. Joe Biden lost the first three contests in 2020. He's president of the United States. Very different circumstances, very different party, uh, very different. You know, so you never say never, but just, as you said, Iowa Monday, New Hampshire the week after that, this is the moment for the Republican Party. Do we want Donald Trump to be our nominee again? or whether it's because we don't like Donald Trump or we don't think Donald Trump can win, are we going to pick somebody else? And, and everybody else but Donald Trump is the longest of long shots. You could argue, I guess, based on the polling data in New Hampshire, that Nikki Haley has the best of the long shots, according to the data today, but it's by no means, do not get in the car and drive to Vegas. But understand, New Hampshire is not the same as even South Carolina. Let's say Haley gets closer, even beats Trump in New Hampshire, you'd think maybe, hey, she was the governor of South Carolina. Maybe she'll uh, get hot down there. No. I mean, South Carolina, look at the polling right now. He's crushing in South Carolina. And then you get beyond that. So in some ways, the most fertile ground, the best it's ever going to be is in New Hampshire. And from there, even if you keep the ball bouncing, from that point forward, if you're Haley or DeSantis, you're bouncing it on very sharp spikes. So, so that's I the great. I, let me, I just let yeah. me, please, if you would, let me. Just, that to me is the defining question. Yeah. Right. In the sense that is the Trump takeover complete? Yeah. Are the roots deep enough that makes it permanent? Because remember, we're old enough, not you. Uh, the rest of us are old enough to remember when South Carolina used to be the traditional establishment state that yeah. Iowa did its thing, New Hampshire did its thing, and South Carolina said, okay, here's George H.W. Bush. Here's right. George, you know, right. here's your nominee now. We're done with the rest of you. We do this. So if it does that for Donald Trump, especially with a home state former governor on the ballot, that tells you it's, everything it's you need to know. It. Or does she get, if you, I guess the big question is, if Trump is proven to be vulnerable, I get New Hampshire's not a big Republican state. Undeclared voters can, can vote. But if he's proven to be vulnerable, would that finally change? I don't know it? if she can beat him in South Carolina. And the, mm. uh, you know, the, the population is such that, although there is an influx of, 
uh, a lot of new residents. We discussed this earlier sure. off camera. That may change the dynamic a, a little. Uh, but uh, I do think that uh, she's going to have to up her game right. if that happens. I mean, I, I don't think one, and, and maybe I'm changing the subject, so tell me if I am. <laughs> but um, we got uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that she can uh, perform the way she performed tonight. The thing about the presidential process is it gets harder all the right. time. And now Donald Trump is going to fully train himself and his resources on her. He's already doing it with ads. Yeah. He's going he's gonna to keep that up and he's going to increase that. And he's going to turn his own guns uh, on her. I mean, uh, rhetorical guns on her. And, uh, and we'll see how she handles that. But uh, the same old, same old is not going to be good enough in the next round. She has to, her biggest strength in this race is going to be showing voters that she is competitive against Trump, that she has momentum. If she starts to lose momentum, she undermines her own argument. In that respect, I do think New Hampshire does matter because it allows her to say, I, I have something going here. Give me another day. You know, I live to see another day. If she loses that, yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I don't want to I don't like saying it's over, but it could very well be over it. it she has to show momentum. No other candidate is doing that. De, DeSantis, as confident as he was tonight, is not actually yet showing momentum, which is why. Yes. The caucuses matter extremely for him. But he hasn't even shown that there's a path for him a day after the caucuses. Well, he, so, could, he could shock the world. I mean, look, you know, in, in, a, in a world where DeSantis gets super close to Trump. Or beats him here, which I, you know, look at the polling. It's highly unlikely. But that's what would make it shocking if it happened. And that would be a major narrative shift. I actually don't think it would be a huge narrative shift if Haley gets close to Trump or even beats him in New Hampshire. Because of all the places left to go here, that's the place where you would expect something like that to happen. You mentioned South Carolina being the place where the, you know, it, it sort of gets back and protects the establishment. Well, let me tell you. Trump is the establishment yeah, of the Republican right, Party. Right, right, right. He is our establishment. The elected officials are for him. The county chairs are for him. And so South Carolina may yet play its traditional wow. role of protecting the establishment frontrunner of our party. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. You know, just the, on South Carolina, just this nagging feeling that if she shows well in New Hampshire, if mm. she uh, beats Trump in New Hampshire, that there will be a kind of there will be some home state sentiment uh, for her in, mm. in, in South Carolina. It may not be enough to win, but I, I, the notion with, that she's going to get blown away, I, I don't know. I'm with and you it, on that. I mean, I think it's not necessary. It's not a done deal. But it, again, it, it's all about. Tomorrow, can you make an argument to the voters that this is not all for naught? The, the issue is that psychologically for Republican voters, many of them are asking, what is the point? So the, the, the candidates have to answer that. They have to answer that by saying, yes, I can be competitive against it, Donald If we Trump. get to South Carolina, you know who's looming? Tim Scott has said nothing. Trump's yeah. been courting him. I'm not sure Haley has. If it comes down to South Carolina, you wonder, he's kind of a, a contender for vice president. Does he mm -hmm. swoop in mm -hmm. and go with Trump over his uh, former governor? Yeah. Everyone, thank you. More reaction to tonight's debate. Some closing thoughts next. Before the break, you heard Scott Jennings talking about the expectation games for Haley and DeSantis. And to that point, in his conversation with Governor DeSantis tonight, you heard Anderson ask him about the prospects, what he believes is going to happen, not only on Monday, but after that. In terms of what you need to do here in Iowa, what is, I mean, you, in the past you had said you were going to win well, in we're, Iowa. We're going we're to win. We're going we're to do well, but here's the thing. 
What is well I, for you? I do better when I'm underestimated. I, I like being the underdog. Of course, we'll be watching to see what happens when the voters decide on Monday. Here back with our panel, David Urban, when you talk about liking being the underdog, is that because you're you are the underdog? I mean, what I think, you expectation game? I, I think you know, he's trying to lower expectations. Right. So he's he's going to say, look, if I get above 12 percent, I'm going to be super happy. So then we score when he when they get 25 percent, he can say, look, I did exceedingly well. And uh, and and. You know, he's not going to say he's going to win. He's not going to say, you know, pull at 40 percent after the caucuses are done. I'm going to 40 percent of the caucus goers. So, you know, he, he's, he's trying to lower expectations at this point because you want to exceed them. Right. And so there, there's only one way. DeSantis will do very well here, I think, because the same, we heard where he's going tomorrow to the extreme far <coughs> corners of of, uh, of of Iowa. If you look at a map of where he's been, all 99 counties, he's hitting them all. He's playing really the conservative areas very, very hard. He's playing for that vote. And uh, I think he'll do well. You, you, Iowans like to be asked for their vote. They like to see people in their kitchens and in their diners. And DeSantis is doing that very well. But his challenge is going to continue to be why see the cover band when you can see the original. This is what he runs into with, with Trump is the, the juxtapositions are kind of the differences he's highlighted. They're very minimal. It's, you know, some minor things around COVID lockdowns, some minor things he would have done differently on immigration. He doesn't litigate his unfitness. He doesn't litigate his character. He doesn't litigate the, the uh, you know, 91 felony counts against him. So I, I think this you can't take too much from a focus group, but it does kind of reflect what I hear from a lot of Republican voters is if Trump's in the race and that's what we want, we're going with him. We're not going to go with Trump light. I think Nikki Haley, to to her credit, at least has carved out a different lane, but it's going to be hard for her. I mean, New Hampshire, she's got to perform extremely well, but then it goes on to her home state of South Carolina where she's underwater against Donald Trump. So what is the game plan going forward? Is it get moment, momentum out of New Hampshire, try to carry that through South Car- Carolina and into Super Tuesday? It's an open question. It's Donald but, but Trump's does she, race. But does she have point. momentum? If she gets blown, if she comes in a distant third here, what does that what does that do for New and Hampshire? A lot of the conversations have been about that momentum that she has had in other states. Certainly, we saw that in the latest CNN poll from New Hampshire. But I think the question about that momentum is, is did tonight show that she she took advantage of that? Did it set her apart from DeSantis or Audie? Did you kind of see that they're still in that race for second place just with each other? I mean, I don't want to put too much stock in debates and town halls, not to knock the bosses, because <laughs> it's just in this media environment, it's just really hard to break through in that way. Um, but Alyssa made some a, a really good point that just to kind of translate for people, if the candidate cannot tell you, we're going to do this in this state, this in this state, and then we're going to go here, it's because they don't really have a plan and they're not able to articulate to you, these are the voters that will support me on this journey. And the fact that every time we bring up a state, we bring up the (laughs) wall that will follow immediately after for that candidate, her own state, like those are really difficult conversations to take any farther, right? Because you're just not hearing them say, this is who I appeal to, this is why, and this is how I'm going to get through this process. I'm not sure it's there. For, for both of the candidates, I mean, you talk about exceeding expectations, but Iowa was supposed to be the big win for DeSantis. So that kind of showing? Yeah, to be talking wh- about being an underdog. Where does he go right time. to New Hampshire, yeah. South Carolina? <laughs> With Nikki Haley, yes, we have seen a change. But if she doesn't really come close to DeSantis in Iowa, maybe a couple of points, if she doesn't perform really well in New Hampshire, then, as Alyssa said, she's going to her home state of South Carolina, where 
she to had get very smoked. little support. Right? Paraphrase somebody, get smoked. Yeah. Somebody, we don't remember who. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, the <laughs> governor before he dropped out earlier. I mean, Ron DeSantis did enter this race seen as the biggest threat to Donald Trump when he announced that he was running. He's closing this right before Iowa, you know, in this one-on-one -on -one with Nikki Haley on stage, also focusing a lot of his ads on her as well. He, at this point, I think, understands that he is highly unlikely to be the Republican nominee in 2024. But you know what? Ron DeSantis is not that much older than I am. He has a long time in American politics, and there's going to be a presidential election in 2028, one in 2032, and so on and so forth. And so it may well be that he understands that it's unlikely. It's probably not going to happen for him in Iowa. It's definitely not going to happen for him in New Hampshire. But what does he do after that? What's his next act? And he could have a very interesting fall with this kind of, gosh, what would have happened if only we had nominated him instead that would set him up very nicely for a future run? We'll see what happens on Monday. The fifth and final debate before the Iowa caucuses just ended. Now the decisive phase of this and every campaign, it's the voting. We get to see what the voters decide. That is just days away. In Iowa, it starts on Monday, then on to the first primary in New Hampshire. More <coughs> primaries, more debates still ahead. For now, catch a replay of tonight's two-hour debate right here after a quick break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.